Hello and welcome to another Sunday podcast episode. Blue sky and all that, freezing cold, <laughs> sun shining, lovely weather. Hope you're well. Hope you're looking after yourselves. It'll soon be spring. We can look forward to the daffodils coming up and the weather improving, hopefully. I know it's early to say that. We're not even at Christmas yet. This episode is all about the weather. The winter of 62, 63, the winter of 2018. Was it 16 or 18? Anyway, without further ado, as they say, let's move on. As you know, us Brits are always banging on about the weather. But look at these headlines. These are online headlines. UK to be hit by heavy snow as minus 12C Arctic blizzard sparks winter health warning. Struth. Here's another one. Scandinavian snow bomb to bring sub-zero chill for entire week. Honestly, the way they, they make up these headlines, look at this one. UK snow in days as cold Arctic air hits Britain and sends temperatures plunging below zero. Crikey. Do you remember the beast from the east in the UK? That came from Russia, was it Siberia or somewhere? Was that 2016 or 2018? The Beast from the East. I saw something on telly about that the other day, a kind of documentary they were doing, and it was dreadful. I didn't realise how bad it was. I mean, obviously, I saw the TV news at the time. But down here on the south coast, if you look at Worthing, we're 10 miles west of Brighton, more or less. We're in a bay, a very slight bay, and I think we're protected by the South Downs, which is just to the north of us, and we're in the bay right by the sea. And we don't seem to get these dreadful winter conditions or the summer conditions, to be honest. In Haywards Heath, one of the family live in Haywards Heath, over the other side of the Downs, in the summer, they could be saying, oh, it's sweltering today, it's so hot. And down here, sort of, well, it's quite pleasant, it's not that hot here. And in the winter, they've got all the snow and we haven't got any snow. So it's quite a good spot here. We're kind of mediocre I suppose all the time which is good. I've been meaning to tell you this for weeks and I keep forgetting when I was at primary school when I was a boy back in the late 50s there was a chap there a friend of mine at school Doug his name was Doug nice chap and he used to collect bits and pieces of what at the time I called junk. I remember he had a tin opener which was his grandmother's and I said, what do you want a tin opener for? Ah, one day, one day, he said. Anyway, he took me to his place after school one evening, one afternoon. And up into his bedroom, they had a big house. And he had a huge bedroom lined with shelves and cupboards that he'd got, I don't know where from, <laughs> jumble sales and things. He just filled his room with shelves and cupboards. And he had collected just all sorts of, just what's the name for it? Stuff, bric-a-brac stuff. This tin opener was very old. He reckoned it was 1910 that his great, was it great-grandmother had bought it. And he had all sorts of other bits and pieces of what I would have thought junk. Do you remember the old brass curtain rails with the little brass rollers? You draw the curtains at night and they made a terrible row. You could hear it all over the house. The little metal rollers on the, on the metal uh, rail opening or closing the curtains made a right row. And he had a little a box full of these little uh, roller things and a length of brass, I think it was brass, curtain rail. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? One day, he said, one day, all this will be worth a fortune. For Christmas, he got the 
the Beano album. You know, remember they used to do uh, books, the Beano album, the Christmas thing, and the the, da- the dandy was it, and other various things. Eagle, they all did them. They did them for girls as well, Jackie and stuff like that. The Christmas album, uh, which was a lovely book full of stuff. He read them and then put them away. He put them away properly, not just chucked them under the bed. He put them away in a cupboard where they were safe and he just kept them for decades. Now, I'll come to the, when I bumped into him decades later in a minute. He had these albums every Christmas. He'd get the albums, the Beano comic and all that stuff. And he kept, this is funny, he kept a phone directory. You know the old phone books back then? Well, when his parents got a new phone book, he kept the old one. Now, I don't know what date it was, 1950-something, the phone book. And he kept that. And I thought, well, why? Why keep the phone book? And as he said, in sort of years and years to come, people will say, wow, you've got a 1950-something telephone directory. And you'd look through it. You know, it'd be fantastic. All this stuff he kept. I always thought that he was going to open a museum one day because he had so much stuff. Little things that you wouldn't think of collecting. Okay, you'd think of collecting matchbox cars, you know, the dinky cars. Look after those and they'll be worth a lot of money one day, especially if you have a whole collection of them. But he kept daft stuff, or what I thought was daft stuff anyway. One example, I had a Timex watch. Do you remember the adverts? Ticker, 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 Timex. I had a Timex watch, cheap thing. And it said on the instructions, don't get it anywhere near a magnet, which, of course, I did at school. Kids had magnets and stuff. Anyway, the watch was ruined after about six months. And I was going to chuck it out. I'll have that. He said, I'll have that. I said, well, it doesn't work. Have it if you want. So he collected that. And lighters. Kids at school had lighters for lighting their cigarettes behind the bike sheds. And one of those perhaps wouldn't work or he didn't want it anymore, whatever. And he'd do swapses and things with marbles and cigarette cards. You name it, he collected it. He had, I was going to say millions of cigarette cards. He must have had hundreds, if not thousands, cigarette packets, all these things. And he said to me, in years to come, say 50 years time, how many people will have a 1950s whatever telephone directory? And I thought, well, yeah, that's probably a good point I doubt anyone will have one unless you find one in the attic somewhere so he had he must have had some sort of insight anyway many many decades later I bumped into him about 10 years ago in fact and we got chatting I bumped into him in town I hadn't seen him since school just about recognized each other and I've got my hair he hasn't (laughs) that was a bonus anyway (laughs) I shouldn't say that should I he's bald anyway I said, how did you get on with all that junk you collected? Junk, he said. He said that I mentioned the phone book. He said, I was offered 50 quid for the phone book a couple of years ago. And I said, did you sell it? No, didn't sell it. But he has sold a lot of things. And he said, you'd be amazed at the price that people will pay for certain things. I mean, a 1950-something telephone directory offered 50 pounds. Stoner crows, that's a lot of money, isn't it? For an old phone book. I've got a 1962, this is boring, but it's a radio amateur's call sign book. You know, you can look up your call sign. For example, mine is G4NSJ. You look it up in the call book and it says my name and address. I've got a 1962 copy of that and it's interesting looking through it. So, as I say, he had this sort of insight when he was a kid 
and just collected and collected stuff. And I said, well, where is it all now? Some of it he has sold and made a lot of money, he reckons. He said the majority of it he has still got. He uh, lives in a big house somewhere and he's got an entire attic room which he calls his museum. I'd like to have a look at that one day. I should have said that to him. So he's still got most of it, but he has sold quite a bit of it. It's incredible, isn't it? When I first heard him talking about this at school and I went round his house and saw this stuff, I started to collect things. I thought, right, I'm going to do the same. And I had the dandy Christmas annual and the Beano and other bits and pieces. But over the years, I don't know where they've gone. <laughs> I don't know. They've disappeared. I read both annuals then put them away nicely like he did. And I don't know where they are. Same with my record collection. I, I don't know. I had records, 45s, LPs over the years. EPs. Do you remember EPs? Extended play. Size of a 45 record, but two records on each side. You know, two songs tracks or whatever on each side so you've got four in one i remember i had one of those on the was it the columbia label cliff richard of all things unchained melody uh constantly and something else another two records on this ep which was uh interesting i should have kept that put that on ebay and i'll probably get 20 quid for it his dad was a, a doctor or something worked at the hospital but i remember he had these old medical instruments the, uh, the, you know, the hypodermic needle injector things, they were like chromium metal with a glass tube and a, two rings for your fingers, you know, then the plunger and the big fat needle on one end, a scary looking things. And he had got those. I think his dad hadn't nicked them from the hospital. They were very old. They weren't like modern 1950s stuff. They were going back, I don't know, 20s, 30s that his dad had collected, being a doctor, he collected stuff over the years, and so given them all to his son. And he said that he'd still got that lot, because I mentioned that. I said, have you still got those dreadful-looking torture-type instruments? And he said, oh, yes, I've got all that. That must be worth a lot. I wanted a hospital trolley a few months back in the summer. I've got a big transmitter, and I wanted somewhere to put it. It's a heavy thing. And I wanted something strong to put it on to wheel it about. Well, I don't want a wooden tea trolley. It would just break. And I was looking at hospital trolleys, you know, the with the big caster wheels, two glass shelves. I thought there's bound to be a load of those around, cheap. Take the glass shelves off, put wooden shelves on it. That'll take the weight of the transmitter and underneath power supplies and stuff. And I could wheel it about. They are a ridiculous price. You look up uh, antique hospital trolley. The type they used to wheel by the bed, you know, they'd have your medicines on it and stuff. They cost a fortune. So all these medical instruments that he had, or still has, they must be, I don't know what they'd be worth now, but highly collectible stuff. So it's amazing, isn't it? I thought he was an idiot at first when I was at school. I thought, who wants to collect an old tin opener from 1910 or something? <laughs> who on earth wants that? But of course, these days, that's what is well over 100 years old, isn't it? I can't remember all the other stuff. He had a load of clothes. He kept some clothes that his grandmother or great-grandmother had had. And he told me that he sold all the clothes to some antique clothes shop, was it, or whatever it was. And he said they gave him a few hundred pounds just for these old clothes that he got for nothing. I don't know. I won't bore you with that anymore, but he also, very good idea, collected newspapers. His dad would get the newspaper or whatever every day, read it. 
And when there was something interesting, like a front page headline, I don't know, floods or whatever, he would keep that paper. And I believe he sold a huge pile of newspapers to someone for hundreds of pounds. Anyway, let's move on from that. I've just counted four leaves on the cherry tree. I thought there weren't any. The other day when I looked, it must have been dark. Because as you know, I'm often in here in the dark. I woke up this morning at half past three. I thought, well, that's a good time to wake up. I won't have breakfast just yet. Half past three. Oh, I don't know. Thanks for all your emails about feeding the foxes. I got some cheap dog food. Several of you, loads, hundreds, thousands of you have said, don't give the foxes cheap dog food. It's bad for them. They need proper raw meat. Well, I thought from what I've read online, it's got to be true. I read it online. <laughs> I thought that I gathered from that foxes eat anything, you know, from dead rats to live pigeons to whatever. They eat anything, absolutely anything. But apparently this dog food isn't the right stuff to give them. But that's not a problem because I've discovered who's been eating it. Seagulls. Very early morning, seagulls on the shed roof, pigging the dog food and chucking the plastic bowl on the ground <laughs> across the garden. They just throw it across the garden. I saw them this morning. So I'm going to have to get some raw meat. Now that's not so easy. In the old days, you could go around to your local butcher and say, have you got any old whatever? What do they used to call it? Bits of offal. No, they're not offal. They don't want that, do they? Well, I suppose foxes would. They eat anything. But I'm sure I could go around to a local butcher and say, have you, you know, got anything I can feed the foxes? They're bound to have something dreadful lurking out the back, covered in flies. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, that's the end of the, the fox story for a while until I work out exactly what I'm going to do with them. Food-wise, that is. Nice to hear from you, Ray, about rusty cars. Yes, cars did rust a lot back then. And as Ray said, a lot of it was, you get under the, I remember this, under the wheel arch, mud. You know, you drive through the rain and there's mud and stuff. It all gathers under the wheel arch and that acts like a sponge. So it's constantly wet and you get rust under the wheel arch. Of course, what they do these days is put bits of plastic under there, don't they? And under the whole bottom of the car, as Ray says, like a plastic tray. Back in the 50s, 60s, there was a Vauxhall Cresta, big old Vauxhall Cresta. They were lovely cars, but they were known the world over, well, UK over anyway, <laughs> for rusting. The Vauxhall Cresta rust bucket. They just rusted to bits. A lot of the cars did then. Rust was a major problem. And also, as Ray pointed out, these seams where they weld you know, the body together, two sheets of metal, they, they weld the seams together. There would be sort of uh, water or damp ingress there and that would rust. The Mini, do you remember the old Minis in the 60s? Their seams were outside, weren't they? Where the two panels, for example, where the roof meets, whatever. The seam was outside, not inside. So you didn't have a groove outside. You had this sticky out bit, which was quite a good idea, actually. <laughs> I believe it was cheaper and easier to do it that way. And it didn't look too bad. It was, well, quite iconic, wasn't it, with the old Mini. The Mini, I used to have a, a Mini. Oh, when was that? I can't think. 70s, late 70s, I had a Mini. I didn't like it because I can't fit in small cars properly. Uh, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't like some of the... What is it, the smart car these days? I've never tried to fit into a smart car 
but I'm sure I couldn't. There again I might be pleasantly surprised. Sister-in-law had a Fiat 500, and she took us over to Shoreham. And I was saying to Trish, I'm not going to fit in that. No way am I going to fit in that little tin box. I did. I had to go in the front. Trish went in the back. In the front, next to sister-in-law, loads of legroom, loads of headroom. It was really pleasant. So, yes, I had to eat my words, as they say. But the little Mini that I had, it wasn't too bad. It was just very low down. I don't like cars that are very low down because I have to sort of sit on the pavement and then slide in. What was it one of the son-in-laws had? Was it a, a Mazda MX something that uh, Trish had it for a week or two while, well, for whatever reason? I couldn't get in the thing. I, I did once. I had to literally sit on the pavement and then sort of slide in. I can't do all that. Struth, what with my back and my knee? Oh dear, <laughs> listen to me. Lovely little car to drive, she said. She loved it. Uh, it probably was if you could get in the damn thing, which I couldn't. My son from North Carolina spent uh, over six hours with us here yesterday and we were chatting about cars. And I said to him, I don't like any of these modern cars. They're all rubbish. And he said, what would you like? So I said, I'd like an old American car. You know, the, the 60s, not the 50s, they were, that's going back a bit too early. 60s, 60s uh, coming up to the 70s, V12, left-hand drive, obviously, bench seat, huge bench seat, <laughs> and the automatic uh, little stick thing on the column, not that big clunking thing on the floor. He said, well, come over to America. He said, you can pick those up quite cheap. Oh, I suppose there must be loads of them around, mustn't there? I think I told you we started watching Columbo and I, lo I love Columbo, Peter Falk, brilliant. But I also love seeing the cars there, the, you know, the streets and the buildings and the cars back in his day. Fantastic, big old cars. Oh, lovely. Anyway, couldn't afford the petrol. Imagine a V12. <laughs> what, what sort of eight litre engine or something daft in, uh, in Britain? I mean, it would cost you... I don't know, you'd have to stop at every petrol station, and they're few and far between these days. You'd have to pay 100 quid at every garage. 100 quid's worth, please, right, next garage. 100 quid's worth. <laughs> and as for your carbon footprint, I don't know. But they were beautiful cars. I went to America in 1975, California. Had a ride in one or two. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Anyway, won't go on about American cars, because you'll get bored. But they were proper cars, <laughs> unlike today's rubbish. Grey, plastic, dash... No, I won't go on about it. I did say I wouldn't. I have just been informed that it's snowing in Haywards Heath. There we are. Look it up on the map. Google Maps, Haywards Heath, West Sussex. Is it West or East Sussex? I don't know. Just put Sussex. I put in Worthing once into Google Maps. I forget why. I just put in Worthing. And it took me to Worthing... Was it Jamaica? <laughs> There's a Worthing out there somewhere in Jamaica. I think it was Jamaica, Caribbean, wherever. There's a place called Worthing. How about that? That's interesting, isn't it? No, it's not. You're saying, oh, OK. I thought it was interesting. We've got a Shoreham near us, a place called Shoreham, between here and Brighton. Look that up on Google, and it says Shoreham up somewhere, I don't know, way north of here. I thought, what's that? There's not Shoreham up there. But there is. There are two Shorehams. In America, you've got two Washingtons, haven't you? Washington DC and the other Washington. We have two Washingtons, one just north of here, about 10 miles north, and one up in, is it Northern England, somewhere up there? 
That's highly interesting, isn't it? Right, let's move on to something that really is interesting. When I was a boy, there used to be a lot of derelict, well, not a lot, but a few derelict houses around. On farmland, you'd find perhaps an old farmhouse that had been vacated years and years ago. And, you know, we'd go in there and muck about as kids. It was good fun. And a friend of mine, not the one that collected stuff, he would have liked this, but a friend of mine went into this, I went in with him, this farmhouse thing. I think it was a, wasn't the main farmhouse, like a, a cottage, a derelict cottage on farmland. And we're poking around in there. And for some reason, he ripped up some floorboards. I don't quite know why, what he was looking for. And what did he find? Now, this is amazing. He found a gun. And of course, we're looking at this gun. Oh, wow, look at that. I don't know what it was. It a, not a Derringer. I don't know what it was. I can't remember. Anyway, we're playing around with this gun. It wasn't loaded, luckily, because he was pulling the trigger, aiming at us and pulling the trigger, you know, and stuff, mucking about. And uh, anyway, it was his. He took it home and I went home with him. And his dad said, uh, where did you get that? And his dad took it from him. He said, where did you get that? And we said, oh, it was under the floorboards in this old place. Anyway, his, his dad said it's from the war time, uh, which was not, you know, this was the 50s. So the war was only like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And his dad took it down to the police station. And he wanted to keep it. Yeah, my friend wanted to keep it. And his dad wanted to keep it. He said, but no, we've got to take it to the police station. Anyway, I don't know what happened to that. Didn't people come back from the war? I remember someone's grandfather showing me, a friend at school, grandfather showing me a gun that he got in the war. I think what they used to do, I may be wrong, so don't quote me on this. They used to, when they were sort of demobbed or whatever, back out of the army, they for souvenirs, they keep guns and things. Hand grenades. No, I don't know whether they kept hand grenades. They probably did, actually. Imagine having a live hand... No, you don't want a live hand grenade hanging around the house. So there were a lot of guns around. Uh, yeah, the one that went to the police station, I don't think they ever saw it again. I'm not sure what happened to it. Probably find one of the policemen nicked it. Chap I know, he had a, a mannequin-type thing dressed in a soldier's uniform. Now, he worked in sort of antique radios and very old wartime stuff... And he got this rifle and he put this rifle with the, the mannequin thing just inside the front door in his hallway. So it's dressed as a soldier and the soldier's there with his rifle. Well, the cops went to his house one day, not related to that at all. I don't know why they went there. Probably something he was up to. I don't know, something naughty. And one of the cops said, what's that rifle? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I was showing the copper. And this copper knew a bit about guns. And he said, well, it hasn't been... D, what do you do? T take out firing pin and they do things to it so it will never fire again, don't they? And apparently it was all complete. And the copper said, you can't have this in your house. <laughs> it's a proper working gun. You can't have that. The cops took it away and then he had it. What's the term? I can't think of the term. You're all shouting, aren't you? You're all saying, oh, it's this, it's this. There is a term. You do something to guns so they never work again. Anyway, he had that done, then he got the rifle back sort of months later. He got it back. But, uh, oh, that's right, they arrested him <laughs> for having this gun. Took him down the cop shop with the rifle. And, of course, he explained everything, and then he was de-arrested or unarrested or whatever they do. <laughs> but he actually got arrested. So that was quite funny. I remember him telling me the story. I think he's passed away now, which is a shame. I wonder what happened to the gun. Over at Shoreham Airport... 
just where the airport meets the river, there was a rifle range there. And as a kid, I'd go over there and there was a big brick wall where they obviously stuck the targets because the wall was full of holes. And we used to dig bullets out of the wall. <laughs> Very small bullets. I don't know what they were. They weren't like a big lead bullet from a revolver. They were small little bullets, a bit bigger than pellets, air gun pellets. And we'd find the brass cartridges yeah, the bra not the shells, whatever they are, the cases. I think are they called cases? And we'd just sort of poke around in the sand and find all sorts of bits and pieces. I remember in the fifties, all sorts of stories that people had found bits and pieces. Kids poking around in the woods or out with their parents on a picnic or wherever, they'd find stuff just in the ground or you know on the ground. Parachute hanging from a tree. We found a parachute once hanging from a tree in the woods not far from us. Loads of air raid shelters around, of course, but there was stuff to find. Talking of Washington, as I was earlier, just north of us here, I was up there once, I was poking around this farm, and there was a barn, and outside the barn, leaning against the barn, was a huge wooden propeller. Now, that must have been from a fairly old plane. When did they have wooden propellers? A lovely thing. I bet that's worth a fortune now. It was all in one piece. It hadn't been smashed, so... If it had come from a crash plane, I don't know, it wasn't smashed anyway. It was lovely. I remember the friend I was with, he said, well, my dad would like that. He collects old aircraft bits. I don't know what happened to that. I mean, obviously it belonged to the farmer, so I don't know what happened to that. But back then, when planes crashed, as they did, of course, German and, uh, you know, UK-type planes, British planes, I suppose the kids all rushed to have a look and get bits and pieces. I don't know whether some of the sites would have been... Yes, anyway, moving on from that. There must have been all sorts of stuff to collect back then, which these days, of course, is worth a fortune, isn't it? Some of these antique shows they have on the telly, you get an old railway lamp and they go for you know, 100 quid or more. More than that, an old railway lamp. Paraffin thing, you know? Railway signs, platform signs, anything like that. These tin... These tin posters, you know those huge posters, it would say Oxo or Oval Teen, whatever, Will's cigarette, stuff like that. They go for hundreds of pounds and some of them are rusted to bits and they go for hundreds of pounds. Again, had I known, I remember on our local station, by the station, you know, end of the platform in the stinging nettles, old signs chucked there. Had I known then what I know now, I'd have grabbed those, even though I would have got stung with the nettles, worth grabbing. And the old semaphore signals, when they all went over to the, the lights, you know, the green, amber and red traffic light system, a lot of these old signals on the gantries, they're all taken down, left by the side of the track. Anyone could have, well, no doubt they did, go and nick the signals. You know, the red ones, the, the yellow home signals and all that, and the paraffin lamps that went with them, just go and nick them. I'm sure people did. These days, I dread to think what a signal would sell for, you know, just the semaphore arm itself, probably go for a fortune. Just going back to my son, he's been in America now, living there for seven years. That's only seven years ago when he lived here. And he said how the town has changed. Certain pubs are now flats. They're not pubs anymore. I said, yeah, tell me about it. I know about that. Isn't that an awful expression? Tell me about it. You say to someone, I was out in that rain yesterday, oh, tell me about it, so was I. <laughs> I hate that expression and I've just used it. Right, mental note, do not use that one again. But he said how everything has changed. 
Blocks of flats are going up everywhere. A certain building, which was whatever it was, it was a coffee place. It's a block of flats now. You know, flats, apartments, do you call them in various countries? They're flats here. I think they're apartments in Spain and America and that, aren't they? And they're going up everywhere. And as he said, filling all these flats with people in our town here, there isn't the infrastructure. You know, there aren't our doctor, as it is, our doctor's surgeries, they are inundated with calls. Or as a friend of mine used to say, unindated, bless him. He used to say unindated. <laughs> that was funny. They're inundated with patience as it is. And they're building these flats and people are moving into the area. And the infrastructure isn't there. I just don't know what's going to happen in the future. We were saying like 10 years time, 20 years time. What on earth is it going to be like here? Another thing he mentioned, which is interesting... Coming in, uh, he flew over, obviously, from uh, North Carolina, and he said he flew over northern England, coming into, uh, was it Heathrow he landed at? He said, loads of land, all fields. It's all farmland, of course. Well, a lot of it's farmland. And he said, everywhere is crammed in down the south here. It is Brighton, Worthing, or here, all on the coast, Kent, all crammed into this area down the south, southeast. And he said, up up there, there's all this land. He said, why does everyone have to come and get squashed down in the south and southeast? It's a good question. I must admit, when we've flown into Gatwick, we've been abroad somewhere. You know, as you come over the coast from Spain or wherever you've been, it's all packed. There's kind of houses and concrete everywhere. As I said, he's been gone seven years. I said to him, seven years time and another seven years, you won't recognise the place. I must check the weather forecast in a minute, see what's happening in Sussex. Yeah, Haywards Heath, bit of snow up there. I wonder whether the forecast is saying a snow bomb or snow event or beast from the east or ice age to hit Britain next week. <laughs> I don't know. It's all crazy, isn't it? The headlines they come out with. The trouble is us Brits, as I've said many times over the years, we are obsessed with the weather. Bump into someone in the street. Lovely day, isn't it? Awful weather, isn't it? We're obsessed with it. I think it must be our fault. This is why the newspapers and headline people come out with these ridiculous <laughs> statements. Oh dear. Happy days indeed. Do you want to email me? Can, if you want, raise rants at protonmail.com. Moan about the weather or moan about something or be jolly about something. Oh, I did say, didn't I, last, uh, last time? We must smile. We must be happy. And positive, positive thinking, it works wonders. I've just had an email from Spotify you know, about the podcasts I do. And they sent me this whole video thing. It's quite interesting. It's a load of uh, statistics and stuff. I've got most listeners in America. I think I've said that before. And then, is it Germany, New Zealand and Indonesia? Isn't that strange? And then, what else was it they're saying? 49 countries around the world there i've got listeners in 49 countries i don't quite know why they sent me this email with this link to this kind of video they've done for raise rants but it's quite interesting and another thing that was interesting they reckon that the most listened to and downloaded episode was uh, what was it called uh, memories from the war or something wartime years so that's that does tell me something doesn't it i ought to go on and on about the war. This is why I want to talk to my mum and perhaps other old people about the war, but they won't do it. 
as Trish said this morning, I told her about this Spotify thing I got, as she said this morning, do what you keep saying you're going to do. You keep threatening. Take your recorder out there and hide it and just get her to chat. <laughs> so I think that'll have to be the, the only way I'm going to get anything out of her. It will be interesting, though. Listen to these stories about the old days. Youngsters today like hearing about the 60s because they, they've heard it was a fantastic time. The music was absolutely out of this world, psychedelic. We were all drug addicts. We all made love, not war, free love and all this stuff. <laughs> and they like hearing about it from someone like me because I was there in the 60s. I was a teenager. They do say that if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. I don't quite understand that. I was there in the 60s and I do remember it, so I don't know what's going on there. It would be a shame if we let these memories die, wouldn't it? People, I know people these days, a lot of them don't want to talk about the war, which is understandable. Well, we've got wars going on at the moment, haven't we? All over the place there's wars. Never again, they said, never again. Yeah, right, I don't believe that. But it would be a shame to let the memories die, wouldn't it? What was it we were talking about the other week? Was it um, genetic memory? Was it? Yes, do you remember that? Genetic memory. I've mentioned that to a few people since and people are very interested. You are bald, perhaps. I'm not. I've got loads of hair. I keep telling people I've got loads of hair because I'm pleased with that. A lot of friends of mine, they're bald. <laughs> I've still got my hair. But that's uh, generic, isn't it? Uh, hereditary or whatever. You know, you've got a, a funny left eye and your dad had a funny left eye and so did his dad. <laughs> so you've got a funny left eye. But the genetic memory is where memories are passed on, not just say baldness, memories are passed down the line. That is interesting. I've been meaning to look into that a little bit more. My son said yesterday, I said, I've got time for this and that. He said, well, you're retired. You must have time for things. He said, that's the trouble these days. People say, oh, I haven't got time. And he's right. And I don't know whether it's an excuse or what it is. But as he said, if it's for important things, make time, which is true, isn't it? I said, well, I suppose I could have time if I didn't perhaps spend so much time doing the garden. I like doing the garden in the summer. It's a bit of a hobby. And he said, well, the garden's going to be all right. You know, leave the garden for a while and get on with whatever else it was. I forget what he suggested I do now. He told me to lose weight. <laughs> which I thought funny. I am losing weight. Guess what? I've lost a pound since yesterday. There we are. I'm a pound down. If I can lose a pound a day, I'll be laughing. All the way to the bank. Just going back to the available land and the houses and stuff in Britain. As he said, in America, it is such a big place. I mean, you can fit the entire UK, can't you? In, in the state of Texas. You can kind of lose the UK in Texas. You know? And I saw a thing on the other day on the telly. They had a map of Africa with the UK in the middle of it. And it was like a little spot. You could barely see the UK in this huge African continent. So we are such a tiny island. He was talking about the roads here and he was saying everything's so small. Smaller than he remembers it, which is strange, isn't it? How that works. Smaller than he remembers it. He said, the houses, our house, it's like a little box. <laughs> we live in a box. But it's true. I mean, his house is massive. It's like a mansion. If his house was here, it would be called a mansion. All interesting stuff when you've got land. Look at the size of Spain. Look at the size of France. When you fly over France and Spain, as I've done in the past, you look from the aircraft, OK, you're 33,000 feet up. If it's not cloudy, all you can see is miles and miles of land over France. 
absolutely amazing the amount of land the French have got. I don't know what they do with it. Is it all farmland or, or what is it? Then you get the odd building here and there, don't you? You get a, a sort of farmhouse that's derelict all over the place. I've often wondered what that's all about. Why have they got, well, not why they've got all this land, obviously they just have, but what it's all for, what they're doing with it and what all these derelict buildings are. You see, that's something else I haven't got time to do. I can't look up their French history, can I? I haven't got time. Just a couple more things uh, my son mentioned. He said here in, in Britain, you, know, you go to a supermarket and you can get just about everything you want from spices to bread, milk, cheese, you know, the whole lot in one supermarket. Where he is in North Carolina, he's just called me actually, he's on the plane. It's Friday now, by the way. Where he is, you have to go to various places. You go to one is it Walmart or whatever for some certain things that you have to go somewhere else for other bits and pieces, bread somewhere else. So that's interesting, isn't it? I, I would like to find out more about that. But he hasn't, oh, here we go. He hasn't got time to make an MP3 uh, little recording. So that's a shame. It's now Friday morning. No, it's not lunchtime. And this morning, minus four centigrade, which is 24.8 Fahrenheit. Stone the crows, it's cold. Minus four. It's now two degrees. And it is, uh, actually it's quarter past one in the afternoon. 35 Fahrenheit. Two degrees C. I mean, that is cold, isn't it? They've been on and on again about, what was it I read this morning? A 600 mile line, I think they mean across the country or something, I don't know, of ice. And there are weather warnings everywhere. Apparently tonight they were talking about minus 10 centigrade i don't know what that is in fahrenheit probably about five degrees what's uh in fahrenheit what's freezing 32 isn't it so i don't know minus 10 c anyway but i think they're talking about northern england northern ireland and scotland rather than down here in the south but it was uh very very cold last night and the maximum today they reckon is going to be three well it's only two at the moment as i say quarter past one in the afternoon the winter of 62, 1962-63, I was 11 years old and we had, they made documentaries about it. It was that bad. It was a horrendous winter. If you don't like snow, that is, for the kids, it was great. But having said that, I remember as a kid, initially the first week or two of snow, this is fantastic. Snowmen everywhere, people were building them in the, the back garden and the front garden. Snowmen everywhere, kids everywhere having fun. After a couple of weeks, it's all boring. We don't want the snow anymore. I was 11 years old. I'd had enough. As I say, initially it was, yay, we got snow. But after two weeks of it, and then it went on. I think it went, how long did we have snow for? Eight weeks, 10 weeks? It went on into uh, February. Uh, did it go into March? I can't remember now. That was horrendous. The country did it literally grind to a halt. There were no trains. I saw a documentary the other day about the winter of 2018. I don't remember that much here. And there were people, they were stuck on a train, which, okay, you know, some were saying, well, the train shouldn't have run. Well, if they hadn't run the train, then people would say, well, weren't they running the train? It's only a bit of snow. So they did run the train. Then people are saying, why did they run the train when there's snow? So you can't win. But people were moaning. This just isn't good enough. It's not good enough. The, the interviewer chap was saying, well, it, it's sort of snowing. You know, what can we do about it? Well, I don't know, but it, it's not good enough. Who can they complain to? Go and complain to 
God or someone, he's in charge of the weather. <laughs> it was, I don't know, it's funny, these people moaning. But the winter of 62, 63, that just did go on and on and on. And as it started to clear at one point, it all turned to slush. You know, the snow's melting, it's slush and filthy water. Then there was the big freeze. The whole lot froze. And of course, that was even worse because then you've got really big, sharp lumps of ice where it was slush is now solid ice. And that was awful. We're lucky here, as I said, down on the coast where we are. Even in 62, 63, that winter, it was horrendous here. So obviously, if it was that bad here, it was dreadful up north. There were places, I think, cut off in villages and that, cut off for weeks on end. And of course, the worst thing is no electricity. That's the worst thing. Oh, we've got gas central heating, but if there's no electricity, the gas central heating won't work because there's a pump, electric pump, and there's all the electronics in the boiler. So if the power goes off, so does the heating. We had a, Trish didn't want the coal fire. I don't want a coal fire, this is years ago. I said, look, we've opened up the fireplace. I said, it'll be great, I'll do it all. I'll do the whole lot, I'll do the coal fire, it's cleaning out and making it up and all that. So we had the coal fire and she liked it. And then that very winter, there was a, what was there, a power cut or something went wrong. We had no heating. I think the, no, what did the boiler break down? Oh, I don't know what it was. We had no heating and we had the fire. She was saying, I'm really pleased we've got a coal fire. I thought, there we are, that's one up to me. Ah, uh, dear. She always says, listen to your wife. So on that occasion, I was able to say, listen to your husband. Yes. Talking of power cuts, we are now going from a landline phone. I don't want the landline at all, but we've got to have it. We're going from landline phone. It's going on to VoIP, voice over internet protocol. So 1st of December, which it is today, any time after nine in the morning, this is the instructions we got from the cable people. You plug your phone into the little adapter we've sent you, plug that into the back of your router or box or whatever they call it, and reboot the box and your phone will then work on VoIP. And Trish and I are doing this this morning. Right, you've plugged that in, I'll plug this in here. And we were both saying to each other, this won't work. It won't work, it won't. It'll, it'll just be a waste of time. And of course it didn't work. <laughs> so we plugged it back in the landline thing on the wall. That will be cut off at some stage, but uh, isn't it marvellous? This new VoIP thing, okay, good idea. But if there's a power cut or if we lose the internet, the phone doesn't work. Now, okay, we've got mobile phones. When I was a boy, we had a proper phone, proper copper wires coming from a pole to the house. If there was a power cut, that didn't matter because down at the exchange, they had huge banks of batteries. All the phones were worked from batteries. So power cut doesn't matter. The phone works. Now look at it. Everything relies on the internet. Who was it the other day went to a shop? Um, oh, a friend of mine, I was chatting on the radio, went to shop, got all their stuff, went to the till. Oh, sorry, tills have just all crashed, can't do credit cards or anything. Bye. <laughs> so they left with all their shopping in the trolley. They just thought, oh, forget it, left it there. And, and that was that. They went back the next day and it was all OK. But this is the trouble, isn't it? All this modern stuff, great all the time it works. My computer is fantastic until it goes wrong. Then it's a pain up the, up the, where is it, up my nose. <laughs> That's an awful expression. Oh, so-and-so really gets up my nose. 
I don't know what that means. Why would someone get up one's nose? I don't know. So there we are. In the winter of 62-63, we did not have power cuts down here, but thousands, tens if not hundreds of thousands of homes throughout the country. I remember seeing on the telly, they're without power. And of course, when you're without power, that's just a nightmare, as I was saying. OK, back then, a lot of people had coal fires, didn't have central heating, so that wasn't too bad. But when the, the big thaw came, we had the big freeze, the big thaw, what happened? As it did in 2018. Floods. Floods everywhere. The water main under the roads, uh, they burst in various places, so you had no water. <laughs> you got no electricity, no water. <laughs> it's, it's dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. I don't know why. I don't know. People say, why don't you have heated runways at the airports like they do in other countries for two or three times a year when you might need it? Is it worth all that investment? I, I suppose it is, isn't it? Heated uh, points. What do you call them in America? The point on the railway switches, aren't they? You call them switches. Hours seize up in the winter because they're not heated. <laughs> so the trains stop. And do you remember here in Britain, they were saying a few years ago, all, all sorts of trouble one autumn with the trains because the leaves all come off the, leaf, uh, the trees, don't they, in autumn, in the fall, and they all landed on the railway lines and the trains were skidding. They put the brakes on, they skid, they just didn't stop. And the railway people were saying, well, it's the wrong type of leaves. Do you remember that? That was ridiculous. It's the wrong type of leaves. I think they fitted some... Uh, diesel locos with brushes on the front or something to go along at night brushing the leaves off the the rails I, I just don't know it I don't remember that happening back in the old days I suppose it must have done but I don't remember that the other end of the extreme people say oh why don't you get air conditioning because I mean a lot of places have now a lot of shops have air con but we might only get two weeks of the year where it is ultra hot so to have air conditioning installed just for, say, 14 days of the year, <laughs> it's hardly worth the expense. And it's got to be maintained. You can't just have it sitting there never being used. It's got to work. I suppose if you've got plenty of money, you could you could have one fitted. Why not? Because it doesn't need to be extreme heat, does it, to have the air con on? It can be can be quite nice at night. You know, if it's, uh, if it's really hot night and you can't sleep, I suppose having air conditioning is good then, but... Again, it's all that expense for maybe a week or two every year. And some years, not at all, because some years our summer consists of rain. Rain and nothing but rain. <laughs> it's all good fun, isn't it? The frost this morning, though. Trish went out at 10 in the car. She's gone out for lunch with her sister and someone else. I went out and scraped the ice off the car at 10 o'clock this morning. It wasn't melting at all. It's all gone now. We've got blue sky, two leaves on the... <laughs> A cherry tree and uh, blue sky sunshine and what did I say it was about four degrees talking about landline phones again most people don't have them now they just use their mobiles I don't think any of our, our kids have got them no no one's got them we only have landline because both our mothers like to phone the landline they don't like phoning the mobile or something now here's the thing people don't have landline phones anymore they also don't have tv not ordinary TV. They don't want to pay the BBC licence, which is, what is that, a year? 170 quid a year, is it, or something daft? They don't want to pay for that. They have uh, all streaming stuff in all these streaming-type channels. They don't have 
what we would call, I suppose, proper television, like we did in the old days. So there's no landline phones, there's no proper telly. It's all going weird, isn't it? When I was a boy, <laughs> we had one channel. I've told you this before, hadn't I? In the 50s, we had one channel, then two channels. Then in the 60s, three, and then four channels. Four to choose from, and they were all rubbish. What do you think of that? Rubbish. Ah, oh dear, it's all rubbish. We sometimes flick through the channels, and it is a total waste of time. Did I tell you that joke someone sent me? Oh, if you want to know what's on this Christmas, I've got a 1982 copy of the Radio Times, because <laughs> it's all going to be repeats. We've got Netflix and Prime, and I don't know what we've got, Trish Dills with all that. I can't be bothered with it all. And of course, no one listens to the radio anymore. They just don't listen to the ordinary, or very few people listen to the radio. It's all streaming stuff again, isn't it? Or perhaps internet radio, which isn't really proper radio, is it? It's just over the internet again. And if the internet goes down, you've lost your radio. Which happened to Trish, was it, uh, she likes this quiz in the morning. Ken Bruce on Greatest Hits Radio, she listens to that. Up past 10 in the morning, she loves doing the music quiz. She called up, has the internet gone off? Our radio's dead. I said, yeah, we've got no internet. So we had to drag out one of my, I've got loads of radios, one of my radios and get it on FM so she could hear it on FM. So that works. You see, this is it. It doesn't work again. If the internet goes down, you can't do anything. You're banking, you're shopping, phoning people, <laughs> listening to Ken Bruce on Greatest Hits Radio. Anyway, there we are. That's progress. You see, that's progress. It's good, isn't it? And just while I'm on the subject of progress, I tried to get it on DAB, first of all. I've got a DAB radio here. I tried to get it on there, found Greatest Hits Radio, service unavailable. And of course, the quiz had started. I'm thinking, well, this is a waste of time. DAB, rubbish. That's when I grabbed the FM radio from the shelf, tuned into it. Yeah, perfect, that worked. I don't know, DAB, streaming, and goodness knows what else. All you want to do is listen to the damn radio and you can't. <laughs> Happy days. I can understand why so many older people want to go back to the old days. You could lift the bonnet, the hood, if you're in America, on your car there, lift the, the bonnet up, tinker about with the engine. You lift up the hood, the bonnet these days, it's just plastic boxes. You can't do anything. You can't touch anything. Everything is so complicated. It's great when it's working, as I said about the computer. All the time it's working, it's lovely. When it goes wrong, that's it. You're totally lost. And of course, we've come to rely so heavily, haven't we, on the internet and our mobile phones and all these apps and goodness knows what. If the internet goes down, people are just completely, totally, utterly lost. They're cut off from the world. They're cut off from everything, existence even. So again, it's all right all the time the internet's working, but when it isn't, it's just a disaster. And if you're streaming Coronation Street on the telly or EastEnders, well, that's the end of the world, isn't it? If you can't watch this, your soaps, that's it. Life as we know it doesn't exist anymore. Who would have thought that in 2023, coming up to 2024, who would have thought decades ago that in the future, where we are now, we rely so heavily on something that can break down so easily and we're completely lost. We don't have phones or anything. If someone had said that back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, people wouldn't have believed it. They would have said, well, surely everything will be 100% reliable. In the old days, the, the tellies used to break down, didn't they? I know that. I was a TV engineer. I was the one repairing them all the time. All day, every day, I spent at work mending tellies. 
And of course, when the transmitter went off or they had trouble at the TV station itself, they'd put up that notice, wouldn't they? Please do not adjust your set. There is a fault. We're working on it. And if it was going to take a while, they'd put on some interlude thing. They'd have some music stuff while they're sorting out what on earth has gone wrong with the in the TV studio or wherever it was. Engineers rushing around, cigarettes hanging out of their mouths, no doubt. <laughs> and it would come back on again. You missed half your programme, but uh, it didn't matter then. I often wonder where it will all go. In, I was talking to my son the other day about this. Where will it all end? Well, it won't end, I suppose. But where is this taking us? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what will it be like? There's all this AI stuff, isn't there? Imagine AI, if you talked about that back in the 50s. There's going to be this artificial intelligence thing. People would have been scared about robots. Well, they are now. People are saying robots are going to take over the world. <laughs> Perhaps they'll make a better job of it. That's a thought, isn't it? Perhaps they'll clean it all up. We've got sewage in the sea. Have you got that where you live in your country? We've got sewage all being pumped out into the sea. Raw sewage here and our rivers. The fish are all dying. 2023, coming up to 24. And our rivers are polluted with raw sewage. If you said that to someone back in the old days, they would have said, you're joking. By then they'd have proper systems. It would all be 100% clean. They wouldn't pump it into the sea and rivers. Wrong. They do it every day. And had you said to someone in the 50s, in 2023, if there's a hot summer, there's hosepipe bans because run out of water. <laughs> run out of water. Or well, the water's very low. There's hosepipe bans. They would have said, well, surely by 2023, you've got a good water system, like a national grid all over the country. Water reservoirs everywhere. Apparently a new water reservoir hasn't been built in the last 30 years. A new one hasn't been built. And yet they know year in, year out, we're getting shorter and shorter of water because there are more and more people, blah, blah, blah. So what do they do about it? Nothing. Just ban your hosepipe. <laughs> in the old days, back in, not in my old days, hundreds of years ago, they used to drink beer because it was the only safe thing to drink. And apparently the whole family would drink beer because the water was contaminated. You know, when they eventually piped it to people's homes, lead pipes, so you've got lead poisoning, and there's all sorts of other diseases and stuff in it. It was far safer to drink beer. That's why I like beer, you see. I'm just thinking of my health. I'm being health conscious because <laughs> the water might have bacteria in it. No, I don't think it has these days. Well, not unless you go swimming, then you'll get bacteria. And beer, of course, by the time it's been... Sorting out you know, the water that goes to make the beer. By the time it's all turned into beer, it's all sterilised and stuff. It's perfectly clean. So <laughs> that's why they all drank beer in the old days. I think that's a good excuse, don't you? I know a lot of people, Trish often remind me, because I go on about the old days and the podcast episodes. She says that it wasn't all wonderful and fantastic and beautiful back in the 50s and 60s. There were lots of problems. There was poverty. Well, there's poverty now. But she is right. There were a lot of things that were terrible. And she says that I only look back on the good things. Well, I don't. There were a lot of terrible things back then. A lot of people couldn't have heat. Well, they can't now, though, can they? We've got poverty now. We've got people sleeping on the streets. Homeless people. In this day and age, you know, again, if you'd said to people in the 50s, in the 2020s, there will be people sleeping in shop doorways because they've got nowhere to live. People would have said, you're joking. Of course they won't by then. Everyone will have a home. It'll be lovely. They'll all have somewhere to live. No, 
We've got poverty. Anyway, there we are. Don't want to go on all about that because you know all about that, don't you? Because you're here now. You weren't there in the 50s, were you? Or you might be. If you're getting on in years, you might be there in the 50s or even the 40s. Now we're back to chatting to my mum, aren't we? Getting her on my recorder, which I will. Uh, where are we? It's Saturday tomorrow. I'm there tomorrow. I shall sneak my recorder around there and see what uh, little snippets I can get about her days when she was a child and teenager. Should be interesting. Right, I've bored you enough. Take care. Look after yourselves. I will see you on Wednesday with a midweek message. And I think we've got some very, very cold weather coming along to the UK. So if you're in Britain, wrap up and keep warm and drink beer. It's nice and clean. Take care. Bye bye for now.